0: Man of the Family by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1951, Chapter 6 Cookery and Coal. Uh, Lord, you give us minds that are creative um, to think of things that are both fun and helpful, and sometimes it's even ways to earn money. So I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for all our kids and grandkids to think creatively, to enjoy the gifts you've given them, and then I uh, use them for the benefit of others, and I pray that whether it's in their artwork, in their cooking, in their uh, skill with hands, and ability to shove, push, uh, move things, i uh, let each of them uh, enjoy the work they do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At first, I thought I could build Hal's little go-kart over into a wagon that would be big enough to carry all the cookery I'd have to deliver, sat- deliver Saturday. But the more I thought about its wobbly little wheels and narrow spindly axles, the more I knew it would never be strong enough. Then I remembered about the dump. The dump was at the other end of town from where we lived over toward the foundry where the streetcar tracks went under the Denver high road. The last time I'd ridden Lady past it, I'd seen an old baby carriage. It was upside down and the body was all smashed, but it had looked as though the wheels and axles were in pretty good shape. I knew they were just what I needed, so I pulled up my overalls on, slid down the banister, and went to get it. It was moonlight enough that I could see pretty well, but there had been a lot of trash thrown on the dump, and I had a terrible time digging the old carriage out. Then I couldn't get the body out, so I had to wheel it home as it was. After school the next day, Dutch Gunther came to help me uh, build the baby carriage over into a wagon, but we couldn't make it work very well. The back wheels were twice as big as the front ones, and we didn't know how to fix it, so it would steer without having the front end wobbly. At last, I told Dutch, we'd better take it down and see Mr. Langworthy. He was the blacksmith, and he knew everything about wagons. I didn't know Mr. Langworthy very well then, and I didn't think he knew me, but he did. First, he he said he learned I did a good job of getting the cattle through town. Then, after a couple of minutes, he said, if you turn out to be a, as good a man as your paw, you'll do all right. Anything I can help you with. He looked at the wheels and axles of the baby carriage a minute or two, then said, Kind of spinning, ain't they? But they'll most likely hold up till you can get some better ones. You'll need a fifth wheel and a high bolster in the front. Let's see what I got around here. After he'd made us a fifth wheel so the front end wouldn't tip in going around corners, Mr. Langworthy drew us a plan with charcoal on a piece of board. Then he told me how to put the parts together with bolts and lag screws that he gave me from pigeon holes behind the forge. I told him I'd come in the next day to pay him, but he said, Forget it, little britches. Your pa was always give me his business when he was living. Fine, man. Sorry you lost him. The way he said it made my throat hurt when I tried to thank him. It was dark before we got away from the blacksmith shop, but the next morning we went to work on the wagon right after breakfast. Dutch was a better carpenter than I, and with Mr. Langworthy's plan to go by, we didn't have very much trouble. Of course, some of the pieces weren't sawed very straight, and even without a load, the wagon was pretty heavy. But it wasn't wobbly, and we had all, it all finished by 1 o'clock. The only part of it that I invented was the shafts, and that was easy. I just bolted the baby carriage handle onto the front axle. What Mother had, mother had the beans in a big stone crock and the engine pudding in a smaller one. She had me nail shelves in an apple box for the pies, and Grace lined an egg case with napkins for the donuts and brown bread. By the time we'd put the quart measures and ladles on, there wasn't much room left in the wagon, and it was as heavy as a stone drag. I pulled from inside the shafts, and Philip pushed from behind. We both wore our shoes and stockings, and Mother gave me a little book with all the names and orders in it. She told me to mark down how much I collected from each of the ladies and not to come home till I had gone in and paid the grocery bill at Mr. Shellebarger's. The delivery worked just backwards from the way the order taking did. Down on our side of the tracks, I didn't have a bit of trouble. All the ladies were at home, and they all paid me. It was up on the hill that things started going wrong. At three of the houses, there wasn't anybody at home. And at two others, the ladies took the things I had written down for them, but told me to come back some other time for the money. Then two others had changed their minds and only wanted part of the stuff they'd ordered. It was after dark before we stopped going back to the houses where the people were away, and Philip had got so hungry he had to eat a couple of donuts. We did stop at quite a few houses where I hadn't tried to take orders, though, and sold most of the leftovers. Then, on our way down to Shellebarger's, we met Sheriff McGrath. He wanted to know what we were doing and where we got the wagon. After I told him, I gave him one of the donuts we had left over. He liked it and bought a dozen and a half, a dozen and a loaf of brown bread, but he couldn't take any beans because he didn't have anything to carry them in. Mr. Shellebarger was a nice man. He was big and fat with a red face and a white mustache. After he'd marked the bills, paid, he looked at me over the tops of his glasses and said, you got a dog at home? I give you some scraps. Then he went into his meat box. And brought me out a package about as big as my head. I told him, thank you, and I held on to Philip's hand tight. I was afraid he might say something about the grocery man in Fort Logan giving us candy when we paid our bill. We had three or four quarts of beans and three loaves of brown bread left over, besides an apple pie and a few donuts. I asked Mr. Shellebarger if, if he could have, let me have an empty two-pound lard pail and a piece of brown paper. As soon as we were out to the wagon, I filled the pail with beans and wrapped a loaf of brown bread in the paper. It was about 7 o'clock and I knew Mr. Langworthy would be quote, just would just be closing the blacksmith shop so I took them by and told him Mother had sent them for his wife. Of course she hadn't but it wasn't really a lie because she would have if she'd been in my place and had known what he said about Father. After I'd p- paid Mr. Schellbarger's bill, there had been only $2.15 left I hated to go home and tell Mother. She didn't feel bad about it, though. We were all standing by the kitchen table where I had poured out the money that was left. Mother stooped down and put her arms around the whole five of us, the way a hen puts her wings around her chickens when it starts to rain. Don't you see, she said, we have had all our groceries for the week, and it's all paid for, and we have money left over. Think how proud Father must be of us. Then Mother opened the scraps Mr. Shellabarger had given me for King. It was all chunks of good red beef, about as big as eggs. When she pulled the paper back, she said, Why, Ralph, you've picked up someone else's package. No, I told her I didn't. He put it right in my hands, and I put it right in the wagon. But it's all good clear meat, Mother said. He didn't intend it for king at all. Oh, everybody is so good to us. The next week, we all worked in the garden, except Grace and Mother mother told us what to do we must plant mostly things we can keep for winter such as carrots beets and turnips she told us i saved some kentucky wonder bean seeds we'll plant lots of those and tomatoes for canning father didn't think this land would be good for potatoes so we'll put in lots of carrots and three or four rows of corn saturday morning mother came out to show us how to mix radish and turnip seeds with sand and spread them evenly in the rows she'd only planted about two feet in the first row when Sheriff McGrath hollered, Morning, Miss Moody! Fine morning, ain't it? None of us had heard the sheriff coming, and he startled Mother so that she spilled most of the radish seeds that she had in her hand. When we looked up, he was just stepping down from his saddle, and he had a whole box of tomato plants under his arm. He didn't wait for Mother to say whether it was a fine morning or not, but came walking across the garden rows. Sure do you like to see women folks putting in a garden, he shouted. Woman's always got a green thumb. It's a man all by George. Mother straightened and smoothed down her apron. Good morning, Mr. McGrath, she said quietly. I take it you're something of a gardener yourself. My, what nice-looking tomato plants. No, Miss Moody, I ain't wear sucks around a garden. Now you take, before my wife passed on, always had a right nice flower garden, but it's all gone to pot on me. Don't know a geranium from a daffodil. He held the box of tomato plants out to her mother, and his voice wasn't so loud when he said, These here is often Hockaday's place. Raises the best dadgum tomatoes in this country. Hockaday does. Bushel to a bush. Can them with a diet of sugar. They'll make you some mighty nice eating come winter. I stepped over beside mother and took the box. It weighed nearly 25 pounds, and there were at least 100 plants in it. Mother looked at them and said, Oh, my, aren't they lovely? "'This was most thoughtful of you, Mr. McGrath.' "'Twasn't nothing, Miss Moody, twasn't nothing,' the sheriff said. "'Want I should give you a hand to plant them?' "'Oh, I wouldn't think of it,' mothers told him. "'A garden is sort of a woman's job, isn't it? "'I'm sure the children and I can handle it ourselves.' "'While they were talking, Sheriff McGrath kept rolling the brim of his desk "'until he, it looked like a pair of megaphones. "'Wouldn't be no trouble at all, Miss Moody. "'Ain't much to do this morning. "'Got the town pretty well under control.' Mother had to thank the sheriff two or three times before he climbed back on his horse. As he rode away up our lane, he turned and called back, Sure is a fine morning, ain't it, Ms. Moody? We only had room for a dozen of the tomato plants, so we gave the rest of them to our neighbors. Mother showed us right where everything should go before she went back to her cooking. It was nearly noon by the time we had the last hill of corn planted, but the morning had gone awfully fast. That was the first time I ever worked in a garden that I didn't hate it. I had better luck on my cookery route that Saturday. Some of the women had been telling others how good Mother's cooking was, and I got my book almost full of orders for the, for, for the next Wednesday and Saturday, I didn't think about selling more than Mother and Grace could make, but just kept writing down everything anybody wanted. That week, I took in $4 more than Mr. Shellag barter's bill, and there was sausage in the package she called scraps, but with so much extra cooking, we used up all the coal. That half a ton of coal fairly melted away, didn't it? Mother said Tuesday night. Ralph, are you sure you brought in all that was all there was? Every last scrap, I said. She got up and looked at the two coal hods. My my she said. It won't be a bit more than I'll need to finish the beans, and there's all the brown bread to steam and the donuts to fry. Ralph, you'd better see if you can find a few chunks of wood anywhere around the barn. After Wednesday's delivery we could pay for a whole ton of coal. was right then I thought about the railroad when I had been helping get the cattle out of the railroad cut Pinto had stumbled over a chunk of coal nearly as big as my head I knew it must have fallen off a train and if it had some more must have fallen off too there is some coal I told mother I just remembered about it I'll bring it in before I milk duck legs in the morning well she said that's better you gave me a terrible start I was sure I couldn't have used a whole half-ton this quickly now Run along to bed, both of you. I'll lie down on the sofa in the, in the parlor so I can look after the fire and refill the beans. Either Grace or I could have taken care of the beans all right. We tried to get Mother to go to bed, but she wouldn't. She was so tired, the frown wrinkles showed deep between her eyes, and her voice was sharp when she said, We'll have no more talk about it. I'm perfectly all right, and you children are going to have your full nine hours rest. now. Run, Now run right along, and don't forget to say your prayers. Before I went to sleep, I kept telling myself I'd have to wake up at the first crack of daylight. If I told myself enough times, it would almost always work. It did that time, but I didn't dare go down the stairs. So as soon as I pulled my overalls and shirt on, I climbed out the window, slid down the woodshed roof, I took a gunny sack from the barn, and was over to the DNRG tracks before the sun came up. There was cold there, all right, but I didn't use my head about picking it up. I started the back gate of the graveyard just beyond the end of our lane and worked toward the south. There weren't many big lumps, but quite a few small pieces, and I had to go nearly a quarter of a mile before I had the sack half full. By that time, it was so heavy, I couldn't carry it, and I had to run home for the wagon. After that, we never had to buy any coal. With Philip and Muriel to help me, we kept the tracks picked clean for two or three miles south of Littleton, and our bin was never empty. That is resourceful and pretty cool how God uh, blessed them with a sheriff who keeps saying good morning. I love you. Bye.